welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter, part of the D1 Ticker family. Um, it's going to take me a little bit of time to get used to saying that, but that's uh, that that is that is our world now. Uh, I am your your host, the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown, and I am joined as always by my colleague and friend Brian Fisher. It's uh, it's good good to have you here, man. We've had we've had a hell of a week. Yeah, we have, and uh, it's, it's good to say that D1 Ticker, part of that family, it's it's uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's different. We're co- but, we're, uh, we're 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 actually coworkers again. Like that's, exactly, that's kind of cool. Formally and f- and for sure beyond this podcast, and uh, I, I'm excited because this is one of my favorite favorite times of the year. I mean, bar none. Uh, I just from you know going back to as as a kid, just those memories of, of Thanksgiving and 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 college football in particular. You know, I'm from from Texas, so we always had you know, state playoffs. We always had the, the Cowboys games. I mean, it, it's it's always a great time of year if you're football fan especially for me uh you, you throw in the, the pumpkin pie and the, and the turkey and uh it few things better than this weekend so i'm excited yeah. to uh, to get into it and, and especially because we have a great conversation coming up yeah Is, um, before we get are you a uh, are you a, a traditionalist when it comes to thanksgiving food uh, a little bit, you know, I think we, we you know, I, I feel like the last five, 10 years, you know, you, you experiment a little bit more. Uh, and, and so you, you, you bring in some new dishes and, 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 uh, things that you might not be used to. But, uh, I mean, like I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago when, when my grandpa first deep fried the Turkey and you're like, Oh wow, this is, this is brand new. And now it's like, <laughs> everything. Says, so no, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, it's an evolving thing, but uh, we, we, we stick probably 80% traditional and then we'll mix it up with a few things here or there. That's that. That's good. You, uh, you know, since we, I, my wife isn't really big on turkey, and and we typically end up hosting. And so, I, I when you are freed from having a gigantic family ho- like hosting obligations, I don't think you necessarily you you necessarily have to play by the same playbook. Like I think this year we're doing barbecue. We did Brazilian a couple of years ago, which like I mean terrified a couple of new members of our family who were expecting something, but like, I love it too. I love I love copious amounts of food, whether it's Thanksgiving, whether it's turkey or stuffing or or brisket and mac and cheese, however you want to do it. There's excellent football. I also recognize that this can be a time of high anxiety for a lot of people. In the back of my mind, this weekend it makes me feel a little bit anxious because I'm you know I'm a son of Columbus. I'm looking forward to the Ohio State Michigan game. Ohio State has dominated this rivalry throughout my adult life. But I haven't been an adult forever. And like my formative football memories were Tim Bianca Patuka rushing for, I, th- I think, about 700 yards. What a and, reference, that one. Oh, God, that guy's going to haunt my dreams. Like, and, and, and that's kind of what happens, right? Like, you know, I think on some level, your college football like frame of reference is somewhat frozen in time when, from when you were like 11 or 12. And I, I think this is true for like a generation of sports writers still in the back of my mind think like, why isn't Nebraska good? Why isn't Florida State good? Why isn't Colorado good? And so in the back of my mind, even though Ohio State's going to go into this game, probably seven point favorite, sh- should probably win the game. Even if they win 20 more in a row, in the back of my mind, it's always John Cooper getting stuffed into a garbage can by Lloyd Carr. And and whether that, and that's, that's, that's a, a Ohio State Michigan thing. But I think talking to somebody, within the apple cup or the egg bowl or into the iron bowl or any myriad of other rivalries heading into this weekend, there's stress, there's anxiety. And you couple that with family obligations. It can, it can be a lot. It's a lot of fun, but it can, it can be a lot emotionally, right? You're, you're going to see some people posting through it. I think this weekend. 
Well, and, and, you know, this weekend in particular takes me back because I, I was so used to going to that Texas-Texas A&M game this weekend. And, and thankfully, we will, we will be getting that back in a couple of years, so I'm excited about that. We'll see if, if Texas is actually back enough to make that game interesting, but we'll see. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's fantastic because, you know, rivalry weekend in particular, it, you mentioned the, the nerves and the stress. It, it's so much about not losing as opposed to winning. I, I yes. Like that, that is the nexus of rivalry weekend. You, you just do not want to lose way more than, than you – experience that relief from a win and and truthfully i think that you know a lot of coaches you know kind of view that almost every week of the season that way you know it's like okay we we can move on we're one and oh this week we 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 can go forward and and that that feels like every fan base on rivalry weekend you mentioned the egg bowl i mean that's one of the great traditional rivalries i'm excited for for that that one especially uh you know full fans uh, down there all the cowbells uh for for that game between lane kiffin and and mike leach it's just a a great set of matchups and uh you know ohio state michigan we're going to start that here on that podcast a little bit with Jane, but uh, I tell you what, that that is definitely the game uh, of the weekend. Uh, un- unquestionably. And and that was part of the reason. We, we actually recorded this conversation a couple of weeks earlier as we were trying to free up our schedules a little bit for, for, for Thanksgiving travel and everything. But um, I wanted to, to reach out to my friend Jane Koston, who's my former colleague at Vox, now works for the New York Times. I think Jane is a really interesting voice and not just how she approaches college football. I mean, Jane is unquestionably, even though she's not a sports reporter, is very much part of the college football Twitter, college football ecosystem. Diehard Michigan fan. Although, like most other successful products at Michigan, originally from Ohio. I feel like we have to, we have to document this. Um, but Jane's also a really thoughtful political reporter and somebody that is difficult to kind of put in a single ideological box I think she's a really creative and unique thinker and is one of the, I think, few people in like the 95 corridor set who is as comfortable talking about disinformation in the, say, the Q world as she is disinformation in the message board world. Which, you know, if you've somebody that's been reading a lot of college football message boards, like, like maybe we have, I, I know I have for a while, and that's part of why I, I have brainworms. You can kind of see how maybe some of those communities might explain some of the other things that we see on the internet. Maybe you could a different grad student could argue that tiger droppings is now the entire internet instead of just tiger droppings. And so we thought, okay, listen, we're talking about politics this weekend. We're talking about family. We're talking about stress. We're all of these things. Who better than to, to talk through that with than uh, a a a diehard Michigan fan, a a, a Michigan. Uh, woman for everything for all positive uh, definitions of that word. Um, so why don't we go hop on here and we'll bring in Jane and uh, we'll get, just get right into it. Jane, I, I'm so glad to finally have you on here. I know it, it's it's been a long time coming. One of the reasons that I love talking to you and why I, I think you're you're I, I honestly feel a really important role in like the media landscape is because you're one of the few people I know that I think understands. Q message boards and college football message boards. And, and if, sometimes if, they're the same message board. No, not even sometimes. Like this, this is, I mean, like I, I've been to Texags, like I've been to, ti- to Tiger Droppings. I, I'm wondering how you think your career of reading weird college football stuff and like that quarter of the internet has prepared you for the kind of, of work that you're doing right now. Cause I, w- I would, I would imagine like this isn't as shocking as it might've oh. been for some of your colleagues to see where yeah, the internet's I, gone. I think it's actually been very helpful. And I, I always recommend to people um, when they're like, Oh, how can I get into journalism? I'm like one, you know, don't go to journalism school. Uh, it's very expensive and seems 
It's true. Uh, neutral to less than helpful. Though I'm sure many people have had great experiences. But I would also say, like, starting out in sports is really helpful because you can understand people. So if you are deeply committed to politics, you are deeply committed to something like a belief system that at least is like, if the thing I want to happen happens, the lives of other people, I think, will be improved. Or, arguably, the lives of people I don't like will be worse. Which, you know, those are motivating factors. In sports, that's not where you're working from. Your goal is to have the thing you want to happen happen so that eventually your team will win and you will be happy. Like, you're not doing it like you are not a fan of whatever your team is because you think it's good for society. You're a fan of whatever team it is because you want to be happy. And I think, though, that because in some way those stakes are so small, like, you can blow it up. You can make it about societal import. And I'm aware that there have been sporting events where, like, yes, like, it was societally good for this person to win or this per- team to win. You can make that argument. But at the end of the day, like, you're kind of extrapolating outwards. You, you know, because the stakes are so small, that makes it some ways easier to wrap your head around how people could still be so completely insane about it like because i think that there is a way in which the importance of politics means that in some ways you can't quite wrap your head around what this is what we're doing here what x means what y means what this district race could mean what this senate race could mean but i think that sports offers kind of like an on-ramp into understanding fan culture into understanding regional culture into understanding what something can look like contextually that isn't actually important. So by the time you're writing about politics or thinking about politics, you can understand how people could believe something that isn't true but they kind of want to be true or how people can get really behind a candidate who sounds really good but then you know, won't actually win the thing or how you, how you can believe in a message or a concept that doesn't mean anything at all in actuality, how something could happen that is completely unpredicted, how people deal with the aftermath of the thing happening that's not predicted. And you can... Yeah, like like having trouble with the snap, know, for example. Yeah, that can happen. Or losing to Oregon. You know, these things do happen. These things... The, yeah. The, the, it's, it's true. Again, it, it, it's true. Or, 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 or Oral Roberts, for that matter. Sometimes... Yeah. You lose to a 15 Sometimes seat. you do. I wouldn't know anything about that, but I hear that it happens sometimes. You know, sometimes you're Yeah. It's a little bit it's a, it's a little bit like losing to an SCS football team, I'm told. It is it is very embarrassing and it happens it's and, true. and people don't want to forget. And other people it. lose to FCS teams and I'm, then you're like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I promised you before you uh, we, we booked you that I wasn't going to do this, but that that was that was that was an easy on-ramp. But um, um yeah, no, this all, I yeah. really appreciate, this is why I always appreciate the University of Florida, a great institution that helpfully also lost to an FCS team, like, 10 years later, and I'm like, oh, thank God. And I maintain, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it wasn't our fault that we could not handle the spread whatsoever. Um, there, was a, there was an era where just the spread offense, no one knew what to do with it, then everyone ran it, and then everyone stopped running it. And it was a weird three-year period of all of our lives. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it was it was justifiable. I, I honestly, I think you were you were hitting on something that's that we've actually talked about with researchers that like empirically study this this idea of where a rivalry or becomes more intense as the stakes itself diminish. Like I think if we were to imagine the most blood red, like red hot, batshit crazy college sports rivalries, it really isn't. I don't think Ohio State Michigan. I think it would be more like yeah the Egg Bowl. Or the Holy War, or it, it maybe even after the last couple of days, we might see, see some, some weirdness with the, the hundred miles of hate between Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee because you're right on top of each other and right. you can't get away from that other person. And the stakes societally, not such a big deal, but they're, they're very present in your immediate right. lived experience, right? There's a context to it. And that's why, like, um, I always, when people ask me about, like, oh, Michigan's biggest rivalry is, like, obviously, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, like, but that's more of, like, the hate that's expected. It's kind of like how people assume you have a bad relationship with your mother-in-law. I happen to really like my mother-in-law. She's great. But that's like kind of like you make a movie about, oh, your mother-in-law, oh, your mother-in-law. Michigan State is like yeah. if you have a cousin and you've just been like, we just don't, we're just on bad terms. Sometimes we want to throw bricks at them. Sometimes they flip your car and set it on fire. You don't know. But like. I think that, that that type of context is really yeah. helpful for people to understand, especially because I think there is an idea among people who are in political journalism that the way people operate in when they vote or the way people operate is as high-minded as political journalists would like it to be. There's something called um, the pundit's fallacy, and my former colleague Matthew Iglesias talked about this, and I've been thinking about it a lot recently. The pundit's fallacy is that the solution to a problem is whatever that particular pundit wants it to be. So, like, if you have a hammer, everything kind of looks like your nail. And I think that there is a political journalism fallacy, which is that voters think in the same way that political journalists think about things, which, for the thank God, in general, they do not. So people are always very confused when people vote X for, oh, you supported both X and Y? Are you even allowed to do that? And I'm like, yeah, like, go ask your parents. Like, do, are they, like, people who are big-time Democrats, but they only vote for Republicans locally because it happens to be that their next-door neighbor is the person who runs in city council elections, and they've been friends for, like, 30 years, and how are you going to vote against your guy? He, he, he trimmed your yard. He's so nice. Like, I think that... The, Sports gives you an avenue into how people function at their best and at their worst, especially on a helpfully small scale. Like, probably in America, probably people are not going to die over the Holy War. Probably. Probably. Just qualifying. Now, BYU-Memphis... <sighs> If they have another bowl game, Listen, that could- nobody nobody died. <laughs> they just got a little bloodied, and that was, uh, from my my perspective, an informative cultural exchange from two uh, student bodies. It's true that I didn't also, have a whole lot in common. I also think that a lot of people. I mean, again, in terms of like things that you did not expect, people did not know that BYU is down to fight, and I'm like, yeah, they are. 100%. Everybody's you and, you and I know that. Like, yeah. anybody that knows a couple of Mormons knows that, They're right? Like, like, we're 27. We got three kids. We're somehow sophomores in college because we already came back from our mission, and we are going to we are gonna fuck you up. I know you're going to edit that out, but it's the only way to put probably it. Probably not. Oh. No. No, that's fine. 
Yeah. But I think I've that... I've before in here. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, I think that that's something... I really think that sports, especially because I think sports gives you an anchor onto something that is, I wasn't going to, that is, um, I was going to say bipartisan, but that's not really the right term. And it's sports are absolutely not apolitical. I would actually say in some ways sports are all political. Like you can have conversations with people and have conversations across political lines because you both hate X school or you both hate love Y team. And sure. I think that that's been very helpful because everyone's biases get mixed up. Everybody is like, you know, you're, you're this kind of person. And then I found out that you're like a diehard Bears fan. And then I felt bad for you. Um, or you're Y person. And then I found out that like, oh, you really hate this team because of this thing. Or you're really into X or you're really into Y. And so I, I think that it's a very helpful for me way of staying grounded in a political environment that I, um, someone tweeted that like, uh, politics is sports for kids with asthma. And as a kid who had asthma, I resent that, but it's also kind of true that people are like, people treat politics like sports, but they aren't because politics is supposed to be like, what do you want to do? And what do you think is going to happen? It's not sports. Like if like Michigan plays Penn state on Saturday, And, like, I would obviously like Michigan to win. One, because it would be funny. Because James Franklin, I think, is bad at his job. But he is going... Now he has an amazing agent, Jimmy Sexton, who is somehow going to get him, like, $10 million from somebody. I don't know who. It's going to be amazing, and I'm going to laugh. And it's funnier if Michigan wins this game. But I don't know what's going to happen. And the global import of this game is markedly low. But people treating that game in the same way they treat like a senate race that could help determine whether or not people get medicare or what people's taxes look like or whether a road gets built or not like that has import those are not equivalent things and so i think like keeping sports as the world of sports and culture and politics that's all embedded with that but recognizing that like politics is not a sport it's actually it would be a terrible sport Ugh. The worst. It's, it's not like really golf. Ugh. It's not. It's not really fun to watch. No. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The, 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 I mean, this is this is the, the often criticism, right? The, the, of 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 well, horse race coverage, right? And, and I haven't written about horse racing, um, but uh, I, 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 having lived in D.C. for a long time, I and knowing a lot of political journalists, I, I, I saw that too. It, it, it is important to, to remind people that it's not a sport, and like cheering for an outcome like you would for the Wolverines would be weird. But that there are similarities that you can take from 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 that kind of coverage here, Brian. I I, I feel like you've been waving your arms here for a second. I'm Jane and I just kind of steamrolled steamroll over you for yes. for a minute. There's no waving. This is this is of course a visual medium in, in podcasting. But you know, I was also curious because I, I do feel like there's there's been more, especially the last couple of years, more of that crossover point between politics and sports, where uh, essentially people are kind of going against their best interests at times. We'll look at the SEC expansion, right? You know, it's not necessarily in the best interest of Mississippi State fans to bring in Oklahoma and Texas. It just makes their life harder when they have to play games on the football field. But hey, you know what? It's money and and they get to chant SEC, SEC, right? Which is, by the way, a very weird thing to me to be a fan of a conference. 
Like, well, that's because you're, you're, we're Midwesterners. Yes, we're Midwesterners, and I hate everybody else. It's like Northwestern, yeah. don't step to me. Don't even look at me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. I don't know who you are. Like, if we see each other, we're walking past each other, and then we're going to talk about each other afterwards like any Midwesterner would. But, like, I, I do think that the fact that the SEC has developed a marketing platform and conceit that is it is important to root for the idea of the sec when it's like are you rooting for vanderbilt please tell me like mississippi state fan what what is your rooting interest in vanderbilt except for baseball where apparently they're good they're good to go on that one but like that's just it's just a funny thing to me yeah, yeah, well, I mean, like that's it's part of it's part of a, a regional identity, right? I mean, Alabama's been doing this for like the 1920s. I, I, I it, it's weird because I don't think there's an, an automatic equivalent for us. Like, I, I don't. I mean, maybe if you went to a Culver somewhere in the South or in, like in Utah and you felt some kind of like sting of civic pride, but I, I don't think that there's an, an equivalent anywhere else. But, but yeah, to what you're talking about, like that. It, Southern identity politics, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this idea that somebody might might advocate for something because of how it makes them feel or how it's connected to this expression of their identity, even if it might not might make their immediate outcome worse, i.e., having to play Oklahoma if you're a Mississippi State fan all the time. Right? Does that make does that, does that make sense? It's so different because you're you're united in, in positivity. You know, like I, I feel like that's the difference. You know, Big Ten fans might be united, uh, you know, in supporting the Big Ten, but it, it's against, uh, you know, they're officiating. You know, certainly Pac-12 yeah. officials. Uh, you know, Pac-12 well, I mean, fans yeah, for the last couple of years <laughs> have been united against Larry Scott. Right? You know, like th- that. It seems like everybody can come together to to kind of hate on their own conference. Well, granted, granted, there is nothing more unifying than opposition. This is basically like. The experience yeah. of politics is that the one thing you can get people united on is, well, we all hate that guy. Like, that's really, we could, I mean, you could do a lot of work if you could somehow convince, like, I don't know. Do, I think that th- this was easy, easier when uh, the Big Ten commissioner was Jim Delaney, and then I remembered that he is no longer the Big Ten commissioner, and that's been extremely confusing for me. Because I'm like, but, but how do I... What? A lot of people on the internet dislike Kevin Warren, so it's it's not it's not hard to pivot for that, but for very different reasons. I know, but I'm, I I I can't I, you know, if you're not doing conference expansion for just purely monetary reasons, I just can't really get out of bed for that. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's it, it this it's, it's a good point. I mean, the 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 obvious, the obvious example I can think of that's kind of in that same vein would be the NCAA itself, right? Where you can, I mean, like oh, it, oh, it, that's that's yeah. Every, everyone hates that, but it, it's the Drake group and hardcore libertarians and cheating SEC fans and uh, people that want uh, college athletics to look like Oberlin and people that want college athletics to look like 1982 SMU can all band together and hate this one other thing. As a side and then note, once you, I want yeah. those two people. I want a podcast that's just them. I want the, like, there should be no such thing as college athletics because it's always wrong. And I want everybody to get a gold car. I want those two people in a room for, like, an hour. I just, I just want to hear we that. We could probably facilitate that. I think we know enough people on both of those sides. I, at least, I think at that, least that I do. Sounds, yeah. <laughs> I think that sounds outstanding. Yeah, it's um I don't know. I think that that's why 
it's fascinating to me when to think about college sports, and especially because college sports, I think, are especially emotionally evocative for a lot of people in a way that, like, the NFL isn't. Like, the NFL can is emotionally evocative, and they want to create that same experience that you can have naturally in a college game, which is always interesting. Like, it's interesting to watch that try to happen. Like, but it, it is interesting to see how that oppositional characteristic, like, everybody hates Roger Goodell, but that only really comes out at the draft. And then everybody gets booed. Like, every commissioner gets booed at their draft. Like, that's just, like, people boo Adam Silver. And then you're like, why are you booing Adam Silver? And it's like, because he's there. Because he's the boss. Like You're not supposed to like your boss. Matt Roberts, don't listen to this. You're not supposed to like your boss. Right, no. Matt Roberts, you can listen to this again. Yeah. Like, and like Roger Goodell. I mean, I've got lots of reasons to dislike Roger Goodell, but it's interesting how that dislike, like, it just is like, it's so multifaceted that it can't really become an actual opposition because people hate him for so many reasons. At least with the NCAA, people are like, no, we we got mad enough and we went to court. We went to court yeah. mad. And like when you've got Brett Kavanaugh yelling at you, I'm just like, you've, you're having a bad time. You're having a bad yeah. time. You know, spe- speaking of, of bosses and, and Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. there's something else that, that you wrote recently that I, I think we had joked about on Twitter before and that it actually became a column, which I think is, is super interesting from like a, a societal political lens here is that this idea of reframing what it means to be an elite, right? right? When there's, there's on Twitter, there's like one idea, like the elites are the people with Ivy league postgraduate degrees mm-hmm. and they're at think tanks and they live on the 95 corridor. Right. And your thesis, if I understand it is in real life, a lot of these actual elites are not the people that went to Oberlin and, and go to go hang out at, at the genius bar yeah. in, in, in Georgetown, but they're the kind of people that pay sec buyouts. Oh. They're, they're the kind of people that are, that are bag men. Are, are, do you have enough disposable income to give $45,000 to secure a right tackle for, for state you? Yeah. Um, no, and I think that that, gets that's at, right. Yeah. yeah. I think that that was something. Um, and I really appreciate because Matt, like you totally inspired this column and this way of thinking. Then you got me looking at contractual buyouts and I became very depressed. Like getting like Jimbo Fisher, he like his buyout is, I mean, it may have, it may have gone over 95 million since I last looked at it, but like getting rid of coaches seems to, I, I want to have an entire, I would love to do a newsletter just on this, but it might be like too sports esoteric for what I do right now. But I am so interested that there is, and I, I, would, it's, I think it's a psychological phenomenon where you're like, what we have is always better than what could be, which it seems to be the opposite of how fans think about college coaches or think about coaches because it's always like, we hate our guy who only goes 10 and 2. We want the future guy who would always win everything all the time. That's not how college athletic departments seem to think about this because they keep offering people who it's like, yeah, you've gone seven and five for the last three years, but we looked at the coaching market for three seconds and we got scared 
So we're going to offer you a contract that rolls over every five years. So you are never, it will never be over, which is, by the way, the great, I, I want a rolling contract for everything forever. It's the best thing in the world. Um, yeah. We, we tried to negotiate that and also tried to negotiate a Jimbo Fisher clause. <laughs> At least I did during this acquisition. And for some reason, I, uh, I, I don't understand work. why they didn't go for that. But yeah, it's, I think it's that- easier to find bloggers, I guess, than college football coaches. But the thing allegedly. is, yeah. Is it? Because I think that that's one of those things like whenever people are like, people get very mad at Jim Harbaugh and they're like, oh, we should fire Harbaugh. And then I ask like, okay, who would you hire? That's not important. I'm like, mm, it's moderately important. It's moderately important to have an idea. Then you get the maniacs who are like, they should hire Urban Meyer. And I block them on Twitter immediately because those well, are, <laughs> I'm like, mm, well, no. No. So well, you, you actually hit on two, I think, really interesting and important salient points there. Like one, the idea that a Michigan man, especially a capital M Michigan man, right. would then decide we should go after Urban Meyer and therefore abandon every bit of ideology that is that is allegedly important to the Michigan ethos in the name of winning. Listen, if you master that. You've understood politics right there. There, there, There's your UAW voter who thinks that actually we should be a right-to-work state kind of person, right? Right. And, and I and, think and, that that's yeah. – yeah, especially because it's not about Urban Meyer, the actual person who is currently having a rough time in the NFL. It is about the idea of Urban Meyer. And that 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 is the challenging thing about coaching searches in general is that like – College coaching is really hard. It's really, really hard. It is hard in a way that is, I mean, it's not to me as hard as college basketball, which has, you know, caused people to have heart attacks, but it is hard in a way where it is the unpredictable nature of college football, which is one why I never bet on college football. Never, ever, 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 never. And two, like, that is difficult to coach around. You don't have a draft. Players aren't, like, players are not paid by the universities such as they exist right now. And I think that the image of a coach can be so quickly, like, you can have a coach that's venerated, and then you can be a TCU and be like, we just can't do this anymore. Sure, we have a statue of you outside but and sure you're like the winningest coach in tcu history but uh we suck right now so you gotta go and i think that that's the thing about college coaching that is interesting to me is that like you are basing all you know people want to think about college sports and sports in general in these like scientific terms like oh if we get this guy then this will happen and then this will happen and this will happen you have no idea you have absolutely no idea and i think that the people who are like, oh, Michigan should hire Urban Meyer. It's not like for me, it's not like a Michigan man thing. I think that that conceit is gross and also would have led to us hiring Les Miles, which seemed in 2008 to be a great idea. And then, you know, less so now. But I think that um, it's interesting to me because that is about the idea of a coach rather than the coach themselves, because it it means that you have that because this person has won previously they would win with you which is how this always works but that's still that's based on hope and optimism um i want to go back to what we like the idea of elites cuz i think that that's super yeah. fascinating to me um 
What I wrote about and focused on was that in earlier in 2021, Indiana University fired Archie Miller. Um, he got the job at as head basketball coach in 2017, and people had a lot of hope because Indiana basketball fans are. Uh, there was a great piece written by Alex Kirshner in Slate a couple of years ago that was talking about like the difference between being a football school and a basketball school. And it was, um, hang on one second. No, well, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, I know the one, yeah. exact one you're talking about. I'm going to throw it in the show yeah. notes there about how it's to be, to, why Michigan basketball is a delight, why oh. Indiana football is a delight, and why yes. Indiana basketball is soul crushing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, yeah. He, I think he made some point I, I that it. like Michigan basketball fans just watch it, like, you know, Michigan basketball is successful, and you're just like, it's like sitting in Adirondack chair drinking tea. You're having a lovely time. It's fine. And Indiana basketball is not like that for Indiana fans. Like, when Indiana football is fun chaos team, they're like, oh, that's nice. Like, this has been a nice way to occupy myself until we enter basketball season and I become a maniac. And um, so he comes in, Miller comes in in 2017. They finish after, you know, they have four seasons where Indiana never finished higher than sixth in the Big Ten Conference, which is bad, especially if you're someone who wants to win titles and, you know, go to the Final Four. University wants him gone. The university couldn't afford his buyout, which was more than $10 million, which included promotional income, deferred compensation. And so then um, two guys, two boosters, uh, they are like, Indiana, we got you. Um, and they're like, one person is going to pay the $10 million buyout, $10 million plus. And the other person is going to pay for the coaching search because Indiana's like, it's COVID times. We do not have the money to do this. And these two boosters are like, we got you, fam. And inspired by our conversation on Twitter, I started thinking about how, like, that's if you can do that, you're an elite. Like, congratulations. And I think that that gets at how in, yes, on coastal cities there is you know there are elites who are <laughs> elites in the way that like the new york post talks about elites um where you have cultural hegemony and you have cultural power but if you grew up in the midwest or in the south or in a lot of the country the people you knew who were elites were just rich like they didn't go to harvard but they went to like the University of Dayton or they went to Ohio State or they went to Minnesota or something and then they were successful and they bought like a chain of car dealerships and now they have a giant house and they go on two vacations a year and if they want to put somebody on city council that person's getting on city council and like they're the people who own like the car dealerships that all that advertise a lot wherever you are that person Tom Rafer RVs to, to anybody who and, has driven in like in our old neck of the woods back right when you came into Indiana when you were growing up and there's the billboard every like yeah. 10 feet. Yeah. Like that, that that's what I would think of. Yeah, there's like yeah, it's like the Bosom family in Ohio where they own like Bosom Subaru and Bosom Toyota and like all this other stuff and Bosom Nissan. Not Toyota. I had to double check that. And like as far as I know, I'm like, these are like the richest people on earth. And um, there was a great piece in The Atlantic that I'll quote uh, by Patrick Wyman that's like, he talked about the American gentry, which is like the yeoman developer of luxury condominiums, the property management entrepreneur, 
And like the person who can hand $10 million to make Archie Miller go away. And I think a lot about how, like, I think college sports offer a way to think about the intersection of money and power that I feel like is more accurate to me in a lot of ways. Um, That there is, there are ways to be powerful in which like, yes, like I write for the New York times. I've got, I've got a host of podcasts for the New York times. I'm pretty powerful, but like, I am not, I can get a school board to flip or back a candidate in a suburban district in a swing state powerful. Um, (laughs) And I think that that, that intersection to me is really interesting because that's something that I think that if you follow sports, you understand, you get that, like, there is, there's a way to be powerful in sports. Like there's a way to be powerful. That's like, I want Ed Orgeron to go away. Not because of anything that may have happened off the field, but like, because LSU was bad right now. And like, you know, that there are those like booster conversations where they are like, look, I've given you $15 million over the last two years. All I ask is that you make this person who I don't like go away. That's power. Like if you can move, if you essentially can get rid of the person who in many states is the highest paid public employee, that's a lot of power. And I think that 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 combination is really interesting to me. The idea of thinking about power in, in multiple ways, I think, is really important not for a political reporter, a culture reporter, or or a sports reporter, right? An athletic director might have power, but that power isn't just about their ability to 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 run a search or their ability to project influence within the university itself, but also those other people that have money but don't necessarily have content knowledge or know how to run an athletic department or the, the ability to tell some of those individuals no. Like, I, I mean, I you, you think back about like Texas recently, right? Like, hey – you would think that being in charge at Texas would give you enormous power. The athletic department's super rich, but if you were also so dependent on like 20 Joe Jamales to finance your next stadium renovation or your new basketball arena, and they say, play the choo-choo song, you don't have as much power as you think you do, right? Whereas if you're and in- I, I mean, yeah, this is why I mean, actually I, I, being- Yeah. You, there are many jobs in the world I don't want. I do not want to be an athletic director for a big time university because the degree to which everything is like you, you could make all of the right moves and there's going to be one guy who's like play Harold of Victor's louder. And that one guy is like, you know, he bequeathed the name of the coaching Michigan started doing this thing where it's like, ah, you are now the blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah coach. And it's because somebody gave a bananas ton of money. Or if like Stephen M. Ross is like, I want to hear that horn louder. Like someone is going to amp up those horns. And I think like, it's interesting to me how those, like if you have, there's booster power, but then there's also like, if you're Texas, all of this is reliant on a fan base that has incredibly high expectations. You have done everything to provide them enough content that would, if, if, you ha- if you've got your own network, you've got everything that is like, everything is present for a conceptualization of Texas sports and Texas football 
that would just win all the time forever. And then you don't, and they're mad. And I think that that's the thing is, like, success becomes its own problem. Like, if you, I mean, there's always, like, you know, there's, I think there used to be This Week in Schadenfreude um, on SB Nation, and now there's a Twitter account that's just called Message Board Meltdowns. And it basically is Mm -hmm. just, like, everyone... And I think that this gets at, like, the politics and sports thing, where it's like, yeah, if you care about something, you are a lunatic about it. Like, you want, you know, you're down three and with five minutes into the first quarter, you want everybody fired. Everybody should be fired. Everything is wrong. You, everything is a big, giant problem. And I think that that is something... Where, you know, people being involved in it, because the operations of all of this are all dependent on people. And college sports, in many ways, are all dependent, at the end of the day, on children. Like... Well, that, that is a topic for for another day, but uh, I feel like you mentioned the, the people in, in particular. I just want to go back to that point because it, it's fascinating to me in the last couple of years in particular, those people, while they used to be boosters and, and focused on athletic director decisions and, and who's hiring and firing the football coach, now we're seeing that crossover into right. the university side a lot more than we ever have been. And, and that's affecting not just, you know, who's who's hiring and, and being fired at a university. It's affecting actually what's what's going on at those schools, right. what's being taught, you know, the courses. And I feel like that that has been maybe the biggest sea change we've seen in higher ed uh, the last couple of years. Those 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 boosters, those ones that are ponying up that 10 million dollar buyout. Well, now now they're having a say on course load and tenured professors and all that. That, that might be the biggest change we've seen uh, the last couple of years is it's no longer just about sports. Yeah, I think a lot about how that booster, especially because I think that universities and it's interesting which universities get this treatment, because like the people who are very upset about professors saying something or not saying something or saying too much of something or not enough of something, they are generally not going after LSU, though that would be funny. If you had an exact crossover of, like, football booster mad and politics booster mad, and they all aimed their fire at, like, the University of Alabama, that would be amusing in many ways, especially because it would lead to very confusing meetings. Um, But, yeah, like, the idea of the university is, in many ways, this it's a concept and a construct, but also a real thing. Like... We three all attended actual real universities. And then sometimes you see on Twitter where people talk about universities in this way where I was like, did you go to any place? Have you been to school in the world? It's, it's, it is my number one biggest pet peeve about higher ed and, and policy reporting when, and, and this is a subset, I think in part a subset of the kinds of people who end up becoming reporters at, play, at at fancy institutional places. But like most people in this country go to community college or they go to central Florida yeah. or they go to Ohio university or central Michigan and they don't go to Oberlin. And yet I log on the internet and if I read the Atlantic or I read the places where we used to work or, you know, some of these other places and it's a bunch of people really mad oh, yeah. about Bennington. It's like, and like, Nobody in the no, real no, world gives a shit. Like, no, no disrespect to, I'm, I'm sure, both of the Bennington graduates who listen to this podcast. Like, that's no, not no. what most college, that that's, 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 not, that's that not the I world. I really am working on for my show. It's like, I want more content from where people actually go to college, if they go to college, which is like, 
they go to like Ohio State Lima or U of M Dearborn or to like the yeah. schools that you don't hear about. And I think that that's because in some ways, and I've thought about this a lot with the New York Times' audience, is that the New York Times has an audience of people who either they did go to Wesleyan or Yale or Bennington, or they wish they were the kind of person who had. And I think that that is yeah. one of the challenges we have is that you have an audience of people who are inherently aspirational. And I, it relates to something, this is a, an aside, but yesterday I was like, I was tweeting about how I somehow saw the, uh, I had, do not watch Gossip Girl because I do not, I'm like, I'm, you, you're supposed to be children, your lives are not that dramatic, come on. But I saw the trailer and I, I was tweeting like, when do you go to school in the world of Gossip Girl? Like, at some point, somebody's got to say, like, hang on, I can't do sexy, rich things. I have homework. Because I went to, um, because of scholarships, I went to private school in Cincinnati. Yeah. And we did not have time to do sexy, rich things because we had, like, three hours of homework a night, and everybody was taking too many AP classes and not sleeping and crying a lot. Like, that was my, like, all-girls school is the least sexy place in the face of the earth. Like, everyone wears sweatpants under their skirts and just, like, cries a lot because we're all tired and like i think that that yay Cincinnati. and i think that yeah. the idea like i googled <laughs> the school that the gossip girl school is supposedly based on and kids are taking like advanced mandarin and like you know that all of these kids who actually go to these schools are like taking like a billion courses and they also have to be involved in eight million extracurriculars and also be captain of the lacrosse team or something like that because they need to get into whatever school and I think that the aspirational nature of shows like Gossip Girl or Riverdale or something like that is about like, it's not, it has nothing to do with the reality of what this looks like. It's like, what would it be like if we, it was the way we wished it to be? And I think that a lot of college. This is Caroline Calloway energy right there. Right? And I think like that that is, yeah. that gets into like the coverage of colleges and universities, which is like when you are thinking aspirationally, you think aspirationally about schools that either are Yale or look like Yale. I was just having a conversation um, with my spouse who went to Harvard, and I taught for a uh, quarter at the University of Chicago about two years ago. And one of the funniest things about the University of Chicago, which is a gorgeous, great school, is that they are so mirrored on, like, we want to be Harvard. That they're, they're, you know, like, Harvard, they're the crimson. So the University of Chicago are the maroons, and there's, like, buildings and stuff where you're just, like, clearly someone went to um, Cambridge and was just, like, we want to do this, but over here. And you see, like, that the aspirations people have are for this very small subset of universities that people pay too much attention to. And then they're not paying attention to schools like Ohio State or Central Florida or, like, University of Louisiana Lafayette that probably educate more people than Harvard has in the last are educating more people right now than Harvard has in the last what ten years? Like, what's it, the student body of Ohio yeah. State still? Is it still over fifty thousand? Like, it's 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 still, and that doesn't include places like where I briefly attended the Ohio State University yeah. at NERC. Yeah, like there's 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 another like ten of those, and honestly, like it, it's funny that hearing about this because this is something that comes up in Brian and I's world too, where Instead of Yale being the aspirational force, it, it is right. Ohio State and Michigan. But 
while there are a few Ohio States, Michigan's, Alabama's, Texas's, and USC's, there are a lot more right. Southern Illinois, uh, you know, Ed- Edwardsville's, right? And like, great, those are my people. That's what I want to talk about. But there's that same oh, yeah. creep a little bit, I think, within the industry press, within with, within the outside industry press, of, or, or you know, with, with everything being focused on like right. these kind and of you're, twelve you're outliers. Right, and you focused on these outliers, you know I mean? and I think that that gets into like the profitability argument where people think that yeah. every university is like Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, um, and that not only do they have all these sports and have the importance of college sports, but that these college sports are incredibly profitable for the university, which is something that you see when people are like, oh, we got to get rid of college sports altogether, blah, 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 blah. And I hate that argument so much in so many ways. But like, for one thing, College sports are not profitable for the vast majority of universities. This is a giant issue that I know that you have talked about a bazillion times. But, like, operating in the black as a college athletics department is, like, woo! Like, that is, you are holding on desperately if you are doing that. And that is something, like... I think I don't know what the percentage is of of college athletic departments that are operating at a profit, but it is it is very small. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a hard question to ask because, like, you know, we have to I'm making the air yeah, quotes yeah, here with, does, with it, profit. But when you say profit, it, 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 no, it is definitely yeah, yeah. It's fair to say not everybody's bringing in a hundred and eight and fifteen thousand people in to see a football game. And then, and then that same weekend, bringing in sixteen thousand people to watch a men's basketball game, and then a hockey game. And you're right; there are way more yeah. Detroit Mercies than there are right. and Michigan's. It, yeah, the Mercies no, are my it's people. It's like the University of Louisiana Lafayette's and the UABs, and like we want to bring back our football program. Please let us bring back our football program. Hooray! We brought back our football pro. Like that kind of being on the edge is always really interesting to me. Um, I, I think also that that gets at, it's, it's, you know, the point of when you're thinking about college sports and you're thinking about how much of this is reliant on like one or two teams to be profitable or to, you know, how you're thinking about this, it really does, especially because there are a lot of schools that are really good at sports that aren't football or basketball. And I think that that's something that's interesting to me because you see that happening um, when Stanford was thinking about cutting, I think they wanted to cut like men's rowing or something like that, or cutting some of the sports like the Olympic sports that they are like really, really good at, but they are also expensive to have. And I think that that's something that I find like that tension is so interesting. And I wish that stuff would get a lot more attention, especially because like the universities that a lot of people go to but that don't have a lot of money, to me, are more important sources of discussion than the universities that have $8 billion endowments but are attended by, like, uh, 10 people. Yeah, I, I mean, when we're talking about anything that's student or student-focused, might you know, you want to go to where the actual students are and what their actual experience is like. That's that, that That's the hope here. I know that we have a, a little bit of a hard out uh, and, we're, we're, yeah. we're, and, and everything here. Real quick, I had one last, last question before I get to that. Uh, for, for the the eight people who are listening to this that might be unfamiliar with where they can find your work because you now have a cool new venture, please tell our audience where they can find the cool stuff that you're doing right now. Um, so I host a podcast for the New York Times called The Argument, which is 
pretty much what it sounds like. We talk about a subject, whether it's daylight savings or the death penalty, and we have folks on to talk about what both sides of the arguments over those ideas look like and sound like and have them talk to each other. The daylight savings episode has proven to be, to me, like, I've gotten a lot of uptick, and then I remember that a lot of people have kids, and a lot of people have a lot of feelings about anything that moves an hour. Um, yeah, we have. Yeah, we yeah. have. We have thoughts and on that. I also write a newsletter for the New York Times that you can subscribe to. Um, it's about the intersection of sports and society, and politics and history, and it's really interesting. Um, this week is about um, the idea of why people like me like uh, workouts that hurt, and find workouts that don't hurt boring and sad um but yeah that's kind of what i do um i i i would imagine that everybody listening to this is going to be interested in other content about the intersection of sports and society i i we i think we're running out of time here we'll have to bring you back later to talk about workouts that hurts and instagram athlete influencer culture and what that you know how that intersects with nil and body image and all those things we'll do that We'll, we'll do that again later um because I, I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave you with this. Because I opened the door here to talking about App State. Would you like to take a cheap shot here? This is this is your chance to talk about the Mountain Meadows massacre. This is your chance to go talk about something weird you found in the DNC. Like, feel feel free to if you want to, if you want to take the low blow now. Here here is your opportunity. I I, it's, I mean, don't be fair. all I have to say is that when Emma Smith was counseled to be faithful and true. And she was also called to aid and comfort her husband and definitely not have any problems with any other spiritual marriages. I just really appreciate that God was so very interested in the actions of one person, Emma Smith. I love that for her. I love that for God, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen. It, it, that, that we went down this path and not the all-pass interference offense that, that Jane has been a proponent of. Oh, for, for I, how wrote, long? I wrote the treatise on the all PI offense in November, 2015. And I'm just, I'm so glad that every year during uh, NFL or football games, I get this random string of tweets that are like, the bills are running the all PI offense. And I'm like, as they should, because it works and people hate that it works. And then you see people like NFL reporters, like, Oh, you know, we're just going to start seeing quarterbacks just chucking it up and trying to get PI calls. And I'm like, yeah. One of these days, maybe even be this year, Michigan is going to beat Ohio State. They're going to do it because they got like seven pass interference calls and then finished the game on a questionable spot. And that will be the the, the, the moral arc of the universe bends towards this outcome. Yes. And when that happens, I will log off for a month. I, I I may end up losing my job and I'm just, I will I will turn into a pillar of salt. Yep, that yep. is yeah, and, and I will have deserved it. Yeah. But that nope. Nope. It, um well I thought that last year Michigan State beat Michigan largely on a bunch of PI calls, and I was like, This is this is what I deserve. So I obviously also deserve to beat Ohio State largely on PI calls and like some sort of like neutral zone infraction, something. It's yeah. like a call that like I don't know. Joel Klatt's gonna spend fifteen minutes yelling about or something on his on YouTube somewhere. But yeah, yeah no, that's that's what should happen. Well, if um, Ohio State's gonna find a way to get called for a balk, or there's yeah. gonna be there's gonna be a ground rule double or something in a <laughs> football game. And so it was never uh, happened yeah. before, but it's right there yeah. in the book. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, wait, three, that's a three second violation, and everyone's gonna be like, yeah. "I'm sorry, what?" I can't. 
It'll I, happen. It'll it, happen. It will. Yeah. Every November is always just yelling about Ohio State anyway because they're always fifth in these playoff rankings, and this yep. this will just be the the final form of that. Jane. Thank you so much for hopping on here. Thank this this was wonderful. This was informative. This was fun. I, I can't wait for our listeners to, to dig into it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I don't say this very often about too many other people who have Go Blue in their Twitter um, bios, and especially not this particular time of year. But I, I'm always glad to spend time with uh, chatting with Jane. And, and to hear more about what's going on in her brain, even though maybe more so than anybody else on the internet, she really knows how to push my buttons. Well, I mean, I, I think that's just uh, the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry boiled down, right? But uh, you, you can understand why she's a, she's a great podcaster and, and works for the New York Times because uh, she, terrific thoughts there. And I mean, just an, an, a fascinating conversation. I, I'm, I'm glad we had it. And I think we'll definitely have to get her, her back on ag- again, maybe uh, maybe with some distance away from this rivalry game this weekend. <laughs> uh, so there's not any animosity between you two, but uh, it, it was great to chat with her and uh, some, I I tease out of love um, but but yeah I, I think talking so more about the CrossFit world the NIL world the 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 fitness influencer space I think would make a very compelling future conversation um, before we let you guys out of here I did want to let you all know about one uh uh, a, a sale, a, a coupon code, so, something something you should think about here. I know many of you who are listening uh, are regular Extra Points readers. If you are, thank you. We appreciate your support. If you're not, now's the perfect time to do it, whether it is for Black Friday or Small Business Saturday, or we just feel like giving Matt and Brian money Sunday. All, all of these are very important holidays in the, 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 the national consumer calendar. I want you to know that if you use discount code Black Friday, all one word, at checkout, you'll get 20% off any extra points order for the next 12 months, whether that's a monthly subscription, an annual subscription, the deluxe holy crap super package subscription where I give you a free copy of my book and some stickers and my undying gratitude and maybe I'll personally leak you some Southland rumors or something. Um, you get 20% off all of those. That is, it doesn't matter. It's not case sensitive. You don't have to capitalize anything. It's just one word, Black Friday. That code will be good uh, through next week. So if you're looking to finally hop on, the, get the full extra points experience, use that code. Save a couple of bucks. Um, Brian, do you have anything else here for the good people before we let them go to engorge themselves? Uh, as always, follow me on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher. Tons of great stuff uh, this weekend. Hopefully we'll be able to peel myself away from uh, the TV and, and watching hours upon hours of college football. But uh, we'll have my – already have my annual coaches column uh, up on Athlon Sports. Uh, plenty more coming back in, in the next couple of days. And so uh, excited to jump into it. This is, uh, again, one of my favorite holidays. And uh, uh, be sure to uh, follow me on Twitter for all the latest. Yeah, be, definitely be sure to follow Brian. Be sure to, to give D1 Ticker a follow on twitter uh sign up for the the free d1 ticker email newsletter it is great been, great resource even if you're you know it, it is is a free thing it, it is completely free. free just know what is going on in the world of college athletics on a daily basis and and there's a reason why uh we are we are part of that family now um you know they, they've had a terrific product for, for years now and that we've we've been subscribed to and and have some great conversations and uh, i think we're you if you're excited at what this product is just wait for another couple of months and in weeks as we get uh, get involved even oh heavier. yeah we we can't we can't spoil everything right now and part of that is because we are we're not done building everything yet but we're going to have some more information about what it really means for us to be a part of this new operation and what like the the new college sports nerdery death star is going to look like here in a couple of weeks um so stay tuned in in the meantime thank thanks uh for listening that black friday is the promo code i'm at matt 
brownep on twitter.com matt at extrapointsmb.com uh, is email address we'll catch up with you next week have a wonderful thanksgiving